Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a rather empty day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Dr. Barry Coakley, partner at Claremont Medical Practice, medical practice located in Exmouth. Barry, hello. Hello there. Thank you for taking time out of your very, very busy day. Uh, We must uh, address the elephant in the room. How is your practice preparing uh, for uh, the uh, COVID-19 situation? Well, we've had a really busy week, Uh, Matthew. We've been talking to um, colleagues both locally within our town and further wide regionally, um, both in East Devon and and further in the Southwest, as well as lots of uh, communications back to um, our um, leadership colleagues in um, NHS England with uh, Nikki Kanani and her team. Um, So with lots of communications back and forth, and we have done some really great work um, to um, link practices together um, to join up IT systems, link telephone systems, really kind of trying to plan for um, what we feel is going to be a really difficult time um, and make sure that patient services continue um, and that the transition from being a normal service into a very busy service is as seamless as possible um, for our patients locally. So we're making really good progress. Um, we're getting through um, uh, a lot of work. Um, we're finding some innovative solutions to things, and uh, we're really positive uh, and that, that we can uh, we can deal with what's coming. Now, uh, are you finding that the majority of your time is being taken up with uh, preparing, or are you still able to see patients in a normal uh, in a normal way? So the beginning part of the week um, was certainly um, fairly normal, but as the as the the uh, the condition and, and the severity of it has developed over the week, um, I've had to to move a bit more towards um, organizational um, roles and and uh, collaborating and, and create having meetings and setting up systems. Um, so that that's been the priority because we really what we want what we want to be sure is of that we are ahead of the curve so that um as the um as the prevalence of the condition in the community starts to rise we have the capacity to deal with it what we didn't want to happen is that um we found that cases were rising there was a demand um started to surge that we couldn't meet so we're we're pleased that we've we've had that space um and thanks to my colleagues who uh, who took up the slack on the clinical side of things i was able to um devote more time to being more strategic so that hopefully we're in a better place in the weeks to come. Now, uh, what will those weeks to come look like? Well, I think what will happen um, is that um, the obviously the number of cases in the community are going to increase. Um, so certainly our hospital colleagues will see um, the sharp end of that with the severity of uh, disease that they're seeing. We're, you know, we're mindful of what's gone on in other countries um, in Europe and we're keeping close eye on that. Um, the impact of that is going to obviously cascade then out into the community. So the, with our hospital mm-hmm. colleagues being busy, beds being full, we're going to have to be dealing with more, um, more conditions in the community. Um, obviously, some of that will be coronavirus, but there's also obviously the other illnesses that are still happening that would have happened normally this time of year. Right. So we'll be busying ourselves to um, to make sure that we can deal with all of that um, at the same time that obviously we're we're human as well. So some of our colleagues will be getting sick and numbers um, may well start falling. So a lot of the, the way we're going to deal with that is a lot more collaborative working. So practices um, sharing patient lists, 
may be, it might well be that we have to move, uh, if, if one practice is not able to open, to move the IT systems over to another so that we can continue seeing their patients. So there'll be a lot more close working. Um, I think we'll find a lot of pulling together. Um, and you know, it's, you know, I'm pleased to say that's already um, evident now in the planning process. Now, uh, to pivot uh, away from this subject for a moment uh, and get back to the subject of leadership, um, as longtime listeners of the podcast will know, my favorite question to start one of these with is, what does the word leader mean to you? Um, I, for me, I think a, a leader is someone um, who can um, hold the values of the group together, so whatever common purpose um, you have between you, um, the leader understands that um, and can embody and hold that for everyone um, and help steer the group taking into account um, strengths, weaknesses, personalities, um, and, and, and help um, bring all those things together um, to create a, a direction of travel um, that feels positive, that feels that um, not only is are we achieving what we are set out to, but that everyone is um, contributing to that and are being recognized for that. Um, and creating an environment where people feel that they can express um, what they have to offer um, and, and feel that they're contributing um, to the common good. So I think if you can if you can get people um, pulling together in that way, I think you're you're a very effective leader. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? I'd say my personal leadership style is um, I try to be um, very facilitative. Um, so um, I, I try to bring in people's um, skills and strengths, try to bring in um, as many um, opinions as I can. Um, but I'm also someone who, who likes to see the result happening, um, uh, especially some of my colleagues have been, uh, have been pulling my leg this week about uh, making, um, about uh, my, at, at times, kind of, um, reluctance to, be, to fully delegate things because I want to see them happen when we have a deadline. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very keen to see that, uh, to see the outcome arrive. So um, it, it's something that, you know, I think, I think when you're a leader, you have to recognize things that you have to work on as well. You're not the finished article. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I try to, uh, I, I try to keep, um, keep the direction, um, and, and keep motivation, keep the energy moving, um, and, uh, and, and, and try to, um, you know, establish, you know, early on what, where we're going and, and keep the energy moving to get there. Now, if I was to ask you to objectively identify the greatest uh, leader, living or dead, who would that be? Goodness me, um, the greatest leader. Um, oh, the tricky, I, I know. Um, I think um, I felt that um, someone like Barack Obama was um, a very uh, inspirational, more because of his style, actually, the way he carried himself. Um, he came under some difficult times. I think, you know, uh, he had to negotiate on times when he had people very close to him that were disagreeing with him. He had, you know, people involved in, 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 um, in the, the government process in the States. And I think he, he handled himself really well. He always was very clear about what he felt and why he felt and didn't, didn't seem to, to, uh, um, to, uh, show signs of that pressure. So I, I thought that was really admirable. And I think that's certainly something that I would try to model myself on. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's certainly he's something that would come to mind straight away. 
Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close, but I'd just like to give you um, a minute or uh, or so uh, to just, uh, if you'd like to appeal directly to our listeners of what they should be doing in the, uh, in the coming weeks, uh, I think that would be very much appropriate. So certainly in the coming weeks, I think um, I would... Um, plead to, to listeners to continue what they're doing. I see a lot of support out there for the medical teams. Um, there are a lot of um, uh, doctors, nurses, but also other uh, medical staff. So certainly um, I know our, our admin staff, our office teams, our, our um, receptionists, they're all seeing patients on the front line. So the you know being positive, working with them as times get tough, as waiting times go up, um, you know, just to appreciate that, that we're doing our best to get through the big, the big amount of work. Um, and also, I think from a wider perspective for the community, look after each other. Um, you know, there are people that will are being told they have to isolate and that can be for many months and we're right at the beginning of that. So don't, uh, you know, after, although the first few weeks will be kind of novel, I think what we need to make sure of is that our our eagerness to look after each other doesn't waver and we continue in the, in the, uh, the the many months coming up to keep an eye on our neighbors, look after each other and make sure that uh, we all get through this uh, as unscathed as possible. Uh, I know you can't uh, give any figures at this point, but how many months do you think we may be talking about here? Well, I mean, the initial indication that we're, you know, we're hearing of is that um, the government is talking about um, 12 weeks of isolation for people that are particularly at high risk. So from the initial uh, perspective for uh, those of us that are making decisions on the ground for healthcare is well, we're at least looking at three months um, uh, uh, to, to get this under, under, under control. And certainly that was the indication the prime minister gave in one of his recent speeches. So mm. we're looking at the minimum of that. So, um, I think that's why that's why I'm saying you know there are there are people in our communities who are having to um, shelter themselves away, cocoon themselves away, and try to avoid this illness. Those of us around need to try to identify who those people are, make sure that we can support them so that they can continue to shield themselves and um, and and hopefully not um, have any uh, any any uh, adverse effects from the coronavirus. Well, uh, Barry, I'd like to thank you so much for coming on the program today. And I it's wish uh, you uh, and your team the best of luck in the coming months. Um, Barry, please come back on the program when things have quieted down a bit and we can have a, a bit more of a fulsome uh, conversation. Barry, thank you. That would be my pleasure. Thank you very much, Matthew. That was Dr. Barry Coakley, partner at Claremont Medical Practice. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me and realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, 
but the problem that I had was was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over the years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the colour of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. It was a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bobby Moore. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top; is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships. You could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, 
Uh, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially with South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time... At, maybe overly strict for the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. 
And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had we were very I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals um, we had some great players but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with you know over the years and Jeff I've got to ask and I'm, I'm not making this up I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, there's, I won't mention both they're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked: Did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's." Uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot in the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance around, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, in most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You've want, you got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden I had a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> 
What, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today, uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well 
he's the best example of management I think we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today yes I think so I think yes no, mm. no question at all I think they uh, Ron Greenwood yeah well, the, the answer is straightforward the answer is yes um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes I can elaborate as much as you want but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so but um, I'm conscious of the um, time um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, so many, yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back on an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, 
but I'm even sure if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.